0: Welcome to Mercy Talk. I am one of your hosts, Melanie Wise. And I'm your other host, Jen Otero. Mercy Talk is presented to you by Mercy Multiplied, a nonprofit Christian organization that is committed to seeing hope restored and lives transformed through the love and power of Christ. Since 1983, Mercy has helped thousands of young women break free from life-controlling behaviors and struggles through our free-of-charge, biblically-based residential program. That's
1: right, and Mercy's outreach activities are designed to educate, Equip and empower men and women of all ages to live free and to stay free. So on Mercy Talk, we want to tackle real life issues and everyday struggles that affect our lives by applying the same biblically-based principles of freedom that we've seen effectively change lives for 35 years.
0: To find out more, go to mercymultiplied.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Mercy Multiplied.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to Mercy Talk today. We are so excited to share a really special teaching um, that Pastor Mike Burnett from Life Point Church in Clarksville, Tennessee came in and shared with our residents and with our staff just a couple months ago. It's on identity. And so we'll be sharing that today, but we also wanted to come on before that teaching started and just give you a heads up if you have any kiddos around. Um, some of the language that Pastor Mike uses during his teaching is a little bit more sensitive. The reason we left it in, and you will find as you listen, is it actually makes a really valid point based Based on what the world says about us and what God says about us. But because it is a little bit more sensitive, we wanted to give you all a heads up. So it may be something that you push pause on and listen to later if you do have any younger ones around. So we hope you enjoy this teaching and that you'll join us next week as we have Pastor Mike Burnett and his wife Stephanie in studio sharing with us for a couple weeks on identity. We hope you'll join us then.
2: How y'all doing, ladies? I feel like a total loner except for my man here in the yellow. <laughs> I know she didn't have a men 's room you had a guest's bathroom downstairs. <laughs> so that's for us fellas. appreciate that. Um, well I feel right at home with you for a number of reasons one because like Nancy said, uh, we just had such a great connection at our church and you guys are welcome anytime our our Home is your home. We want uh, LifePoint to be an extension of what you're doing. And I mean this not just because it's a good thing to say when I speak in your house, but uh, we want Clarksville to feel like a, another location for you. And if the Lord saw fit even to put a physical location there for mercy, man, we would just trust God to pay for the whole thing and and make something like that happen too. We just love you and what you're doing, and we've, we've watched for the last couple of years... And it wasn't until this year that we actually got to physically meet, but our church and you guys have been connected before that. And she's right. Stephanie and I just. And then last year, you guys brought up a group of ladies to flourish as well. And we just, we love what you're doing. And uh, I love that it's for girls. This is the greatest girls choir I've heard all day. <laughs> I don't know if that's one of your programs here, but my wife and I both are classically trained musicians, actually. I've got an undergrad in vocal performance. She has an undergrad master's in piano. And we met in a practice room, and I quit practicing. I quit practicing piano, and I said, I'm going to marry my pianist. I don't ever want to play one again. And so that's pretty well been true for us. But I I am an opera singer, trained opera singer, and she's a trained classical pianist. And so to sit in the room, I I leaned over to her. I was like, listen to the girls' choir. Isn't that great? She's a choir director, and I've done that as well, so if that's not a program you already have, uh, that, should be, that could be a lot of fun to put a, a ladies' choir and go on the road and do albums and go on The Voice and whatever. Got <laughs> some great singers. To my Ozark sister, we lived in Springfield for five years, and so uh, welcome to the best state in the South, Tennessee. Uh, James River's a great church. When my wife and I were there, I moved there to go to seminary. And then I was on staff at Evangel Temple on Battlefield and uh, uh, near the Battlefield Mall, but we snuck over to James River a lot because I was working at one church, but I was going to that other one a lot. (laughs) was really—I always dreamed I said, "God, I want to—I want to pastor a church that I would like to go to as well." (laughs) And um, so I, I worked on staff at one church and attended another a lot, and I loved their prayer meeting. It was one of the best events in the city. Was their Wednesday night prayer. And so my wife and I have been married 16 years this month We met in college at the University of Tennessee Where Jesus went to school If you don't believe that He did, he's a volunteer He volunteered his life for the whole world So take that Vanderbilt He didn't commandeer anything He volunteered it all The only crimson, blood we, the only crimson we care about Is the blood of Jesus The rest of that crimson tide Can roll right off a cliff You know what I'm saying like, We don't even care We don't care about Alabama. My wife's an Ohio State Buckeye originally. She's from Dayton, Ohio, so she's not much of a Michigan fan. I apologize for that. But you know what? We're in the South, so we don't even care about none of them schools right now. Truth is, my wife's a bigger sports fan than I am. She actually chose to go to the University of Tennessee because they had just won the national championship. I went to UT, had never watched a football game for Tennessee ever. By my senior year, I was singing the alma mater on the 50-yard line (laughs) of the football game, so that was a lot of fun. But she did. Oh, man, and even today, every fall, she gives me the football schedule and says on Saturdays of these days, we are home watching football. So I don't really care that much about football, but I care about my wife, so I like what she likes. Uh, We do have four daughters, not because I like kids, but because I like my wife. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And that's Chris Hodge's joke, by the way. I stole that from him. But we have four girls. Lucy is 11. Julia is 9. Hallie is 6. And Brooklyn will be 4 next week. So Lucy, Julia, Hallie, and Brooklyn, they light up our lives. They stress us out to no end. We want to pull our hair out some days, and then I want to buy them everything the next day. So uh, life with girls is all I know. There's a lot of estrogen in my house. So frankly, I feel right at home in here. (laughs) I feel like I know all of you really well. I know your ups and downs. I know what's going to happen this afternoon. If you don't eat right, if you don't eat soon enough, you're going to get emotional cranky and gripey. And then when somebody's going to go, what's wrong with you? And you're going to go, I don't know. And then you're going to eat and you'll be all better. I'm just so happy to be in this environment. So happy. Um, truthfully, my wife, uh, Stephanie, is the, the prayer behind my, every part of my life. She's the wind behind my sales and honestly she doesn't like to public speak but she likes to privately pray and i thank god for her and uh, our ministry together she's an amazing um, wife and mom and pastor to our church and a lot of times she never speaks but they benefit from her prayer life so it's an honor to we get to do this together we are um, on a a break so today's the last thing i give the best for last okay this is the last thing i'm doing for four weeks in terms of ministry and then we're going to travel a little bit and take some time off and we've been working eight years at our church we took over a church of 50 uh, 85 people my first sunday and we had 4200 a couple weeks ago and things are just going crazy fast growth and we've tore down one building built a new one it's in four services in the regular season we're uh two three locations actually now and one in smyrna so if you're in the murfreesboro smyrna area we have a church there called victory church and then uh, two campuses in clarksville but we give all god we give all glory to God on that. We don't ever have a clue as to what we've done. Uh, we always feel surprised when we show up and it's still working and people keep coming and serving and giving and praying and volunteering and uh, supporting missions and ministries. We're just always surprised because I feel like I'm the same idiot that showed up eight years ago and uh, my commitment is to preach the Bible without compromise and to say the hard stuff in, a, in a loving ways and let God do the work of changing people because I thank God that God... I thank God that he has a plan for every unplanned pregnancy. You know, one of the greatest unplanned pregnancies ever was Jesus. Here's this 14 year old mom, Mary, who finds out, hey, you're going to be pregnant. You don't even know the dad It's God. Like what a crazy, how do you tell somebody that? Yeah, I'm pregnant. Oh yeah. Who's the daddy? The Lord. Like, how do you, how do you share that with a straight face? You know what I'm saying? And she literally freaks out, has her moments with God. Jesus was an unplanned pregnancy. And yet God literally transformed the world through that and so I don't know what your stories are I don't know what your situations are but I, I have an idea based on what I know of mercy and uh, and I know that the same God who used Jesus and the same God who used Samson who is an unplanned pregnancy and Moses who is an unplanned pregnancy and me who' was an unplanned pregnancy will use your story of unplanned chaos and turn it around for his good can I hear a big amen somebody yeah. so our our I've recently been working through uh, this question, this conversation about identity, because honestly, um, with everything that's happened in our church, I keep I keep thinking that uh, I'm going to change, I'm going to be different. You know, I think when, I'm young, when we're young and idealistic, I'm almost 40, I'm 38, my wife hates when I say almost 40, but uh, you know, when I was 20, 22, 24, I used to think, man, I used to think first of all, 40 was really old, and now I don't, I think it's... Vibrant and healthy, and the greatest years of my life. In fact, I think t- my twenties were stupid, and you know. I, <laughs> but uh, when I was your age, I thought forty was going to be old, and I thought I would kind of arrive at some place, and I would have been, you know, satisfied with my dreams having come true. And I find that that all the dreams and hope and, and aspirations that I had then, I still have now, and I'm still the same person that I was then. But I've started to um, kind of lose sense of the intimacy with Christ because I've been working for Christ and I've been seeing the power of Christ in our ministry and in work. And, and it's, it's kind of tempted me to start believing the stories instead of the story writer. And it started tempting me to believe the press about me instead of uh, who God says I am. And, and I've caught myself in these last like seven or eight months, really reevaluating me as a follower of Jesus. And so when you look through the Bible in particular, Um, identity of god the identity of god and who god is always precedes the activity of god right and so everything god does is a reflection of who god is so think about it from the very beginning of your bible genesis chapter one it's on the very first page on the left hand side of your bible genesis 1 1 starts like this it says in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth you remember that verse okay thanks it says in the beginning god now i have terrible handwriting Okay, I'm just going to tell you on the front end, so please forgive that. In the beginning, God created, and in that uh, English word, it says God, and we think it's just kind of this singular gray-haired white dude with a lightning bolt on a big concrete throne somewhere, but actually, it's not a singular um, noun at all. It's this word in the Hebrew, Elohim. So in the beginning, Elohim created. And Elohim, there's many names of God in the Old Testament, right? So there's Jehovah, there's Jehovah Tzidkenu, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Jireh, all these names that identify God as how he acts towards us. So Jehovah Shalom is God who gives us peace. Jehovah Tzidkenu, the God who makes us righteousness. Jehovah Makedesh, the God who sanctifies us, sets us apart. There's Jehovah, El, there's God El Shaddai, the God who creates, right? And and then there's this one in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 that calls God Elohim. And this is the only Hebrew name of God that's plural and majestic. So when you read Genesis 1, it says, in the beginning, Elohim, which is in the, in the scholarly language, we call it the plural of majesty. Some of you don't... Uh, you really can't read this handwriting. I'm sorry. It's plural of majesty. So in the beginning... Plural majestic God created. So before he did, he identified. Who created? Who did this? God, the, the plural majestic one. And how is God plural and majestic? He's Father, he's Son, and he's Spirit. Right? So some people say, well, the Trinity's not in the Bible. The idea of this isn't in Scripture. It's actually in the very first verse of your Bible. In the original language, in the beginning, Elohim created. But then it goes down in verse, chapter 1, verse 26 and he says and then god elohim said let us make man in our image so anybody who's good at english can re- can realize that this is terrible grammar right genesis 126 says let god which sounds singular right he said let god god said let us which is plural make mankind in our which is plural image and those don't match do they right do they But they match when when you understand the who God is, the Elohim, the plural majestic one. Why am I giving you a grammar lesson? Because we want to nerd out here today? No. Because I'm trying to make a point that before God ever does, God identifies who he is. And he establishes identity. And God creates us in his image as plural. We're plurally majestic people too. We're made of body, soul, and spirit. You're not just a physical human being. You have a soul. You have a, a will, an emotional side of who you are. And you have a spirit, that person, that part of you connects to the Holy Spirit of God, right? And so we're made in the image of God. How? Because we are also majestic and plural. We're made as body, soul, and spirit. And so, But before God ever does, God identifies who he is. And so that, that trickles on later, let's say in the book of Exodus. I'm just going to keep talking here instead of writing here. But in the book of Exodus, we see where God calls Moses and uh, the children of Israel are in bondage to Egypt for 400 years and they're in slavery. And God says to Moses, you're going to go to Egypt and you're going to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses kicks back this question to God. He starts giving all these excuses of why he's not going to go To Egypt, And he's not going to be the one that's going to be able to tell uh, Pharaoh to let the people go and and all these things. And he gives excuses. He says, if I go back there, they're going to kill me. If I go back there, they're going to be upset with me. And then he makes up a sickness. He says, I I, I stutter. What a dork. You know, like he just made up. But how many of us make up excuses of not to do what God's called us to do? Come on, somebody. How many of us make up reasons? We go, Lord, they're not going to listen to me. They're not going to believe me. And then we go, "Uh, my leg hurts. You know, God. We just make up stuff. We give reason after reason, and that's what Moses did. And then finally, Moses, God says, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to go before you. I'm going to tell you how to speak. I'm going to fix your mouth issues. Liar, (laughs) right? And then Moses asks his question of identity. He says to God, who will I tell them sent me? And then God says this thing that's just so universe-altering. He says, say to Pharaoh, I am that I am has sent you God identifies himself before he ever does anything out of himself he says tell Pharaoh I am who I am I'm the eternal one the God of forever the God who was before Pharaoh the God who will be through Pharaoh and will be after Pharaoh the one who oversees the universe the one who's over it all the eternal one of forever I am the one that I am and that's who's sending you so Moses know who God is before you do what God's called you to do right come through the New Testament, come through the scriptures uh, later. God deals with Moses, excuse me, back in Exodus chapter 6. Now God uh, says to Moses, say to the people, I am the Lord. That's who I am. And I will save you. I will deliver you from bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched hand. And I will be your God and you'll be my people Because I am the Lord. So God always deals with identity before behavior. Before he says what I'll do, he establishes who he is. When he speaks to the prophets, he always speaks to them first out of nature of who he is before what he does. Why am I giving you all this? Then comes Jesus. Jesus comes along in John's gospel in particular. And eight times in John's gospel, Jesus uses language like God did in Exodus chapter 6. In Exodus chapter 4. Eight times Jesus uses this language of I am the eternal one. Before Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was, I am. I'm the bread of heaven. I'm the true vine. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am all these things that I do because of who I am. So before Jesus ever does, Jesus identifies who he is, that he's God, the eternal one. And then came this conversation between Jesus and his disciples. Are y'all tracking with me so far? Ladies, you tracking with me so far? Okay, then comes this conversation between Jesus and his disciples. And he asked this question. I want you to write this down. Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? Now, Jesus is lobbing a softball here to figure out what do other people say about my identity? Notice Jesus didn't say, what are people saying about what I've done? What do people say about what what miracles I've performed or the things I've done in my life? He says, who do people say that I am? And the disciples push back with statements like, some think you're John the Baptist reborn. They think you're Elijah or some other prophet. And then Jesus looks at the disciples, and you need to write this down too. He says, but who do you say that I am? And all of a sudden, Jesus is leaning into the priority of the fact that the relationships that matter have an identity thing clarified and figured out. And in this relationship with Christ... We not only have to understand who he is, but we need to understand who he is before we ever start asking him to do what he does. Right. So Jesus looks at him and he goes, who do other people say that I am? And then he asks the disciples clearly, who do you say that I am? And can I suggest to you guys today, ladies, that one of our biggest struggles in life, and it doesn't matter if you're a, 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 a student at Mercy, if you're living in the house or if you're a pastor at life point, our biggest struggle in life is we are often more concerned with who do men say that we are then who does God say that we are? Who does people say that we are? Who do our parents say that we are? Who do our friends say that we are? Who do our old friends that we were running with say that we are? Who do the ones that have victimized us say that we are? What do counselors and therapists say that we are? What do the program directors say that we are? Versus who does God say that we are? And honestly, our biggest struggle is that we have believed for too long What everyone else has said about us, even our own selves, what we have said about ourselves, instead of leaning into and believing and living out of results of who God says that we are. Remember, God, listen, God never acted outside of his identity. But how many of us have acted outside of our identity with Christ? Come on. How many of us have acted outside of our identity with Christ? How many of us have ever stepped out of of, of identity with Jesus? And why is that convicting? Because we go, that's not who I am anymore. That's not my life. That's not the life that I should be living anymore. Instead, we start walking out of identity with Jesus. And the central issue for every person on the planet, I believe clearly, is an identity issue and whether or not we will be found in Christ or in what other people will say about us. When God dealt with Moses, God dealt with the prophets, God dealt with Jesus. Listen, when Jesus was baptized... There was a conversation happening within earshot of everybody and it all had to do with identity. Go read it in your Gospels, in Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Jesus comes down to the waters to be baptized by John the Baptist and he gets in the water. John the Baptist says, I should be the one being baptized by you. And Jesus says, no, I've got to do this as part of righteousness. By the way, if you've never been baptized as a follower of Jesus, you need to do it because Jesus did it. And then it says, the clouds opened up and a voice from the heavens came and everyone around them heard it. And God the Father said, this is my son. He put identity. He put branding on Jesus. First thing he said, this is my son. He's the son of the eternal God. He said and in him, I am pleased. Why was God pleased with Jesus? Was it because of anything he'd ever said? Was it because of anything he'd ever done? He hadn't done anything yet. Why was he pleased with Jesus? Because his identity was found first and fully in God. Man, that got a lot better. Amen. In my head than right now, Why was God pleased with Jesus? Because of sonship, not behavior, and not because of lack of behavior or misbehavior or misdirection. Listen, God was pleased with Jesus because of relationship to God, because of sonship. God revealed his pleasure with Christ, not because of anything Jesus had done. Jesus would go on to do the greatest miracles ever seen. He would raise dead people. He'd walk on water. He'd feed thousands of people from a Lunchable. He did incredible miracles. But none of that pleased God. What pleased God is that Jesus was found in God. And can I say that I think our struggle, in the, especially in like the church world, is we've built entire religious systems on how to please God by behaving to God instead of being with God. We've built a whole system of teaching that says if you drink or smoke or chew or dance with the boys who do, you know, whatever, if you, if you have sex too soon or sex too often or with the wrong gender, if you do the wrong things, then God's not pleased with you. Can I tell you, God is pleased or displeased with you whether you belong to him or not. God's not impressed with your behavior and he's not mad at you for your misbehavior. He wants to find pleasure in you because you belong to him. But many of us have leaned into that first question Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? So I asked for a whiteboard. Are you is this making sense? I, I asked for a whiteboard today because I want to ask you just clearly, and I want you to be as honest and graphic as you need to be. I want to ask you, ladies, who do people say that you are? I want to write these things on the board for us to see in plain sight, and I don't want the good stuff, pretty. Sweet. Because I think all of you are pretty, and so far you all seem sweet. What, what do people say about you? What are, what are labels and names that people have called you? Just shout them out. Failure. Failure. What was that other one? Okay, I don't write that fast. anyway. hear <laughs> me. Keep going. Keep going. B word? Like beautiful? (laughs) Benevolent? Batman? Thank you. You're smiling because you said the B word in church. But the reality is, that's a word laced with pain. What else? Whore or whore? What else? How many measure your gender neutral sense of mankind? Who do people say that you are? And my second question is, why do you believe this garbage? And maybe you behaved out of these labels. Maybe you have. I have. And I, I, just know that some of us. I remember as a kid, I grew up in the house of a social worker. And the joke about that is she diagnosed us all the time. But I remember hearing as a kid, if you stay really for long enough, yourself you believe in by yourself. So if you're told you're ugly, fat, stupid, a loser, entitled, liar, don't belong, pothead, self-centered, lazy, unwanted, worthless, you know whore, bitch, snob, mistake, weak, slut, you hear those things long enough, and start to believe them about yourself, and you don't believe this, belief always precedes behavior, and we start behaving out of these things, and some of you have not figured out how to overcome your behaving, because you're still believing what men and women say about you, but let me ask you this question, what does God say Frankly, my greatest temptation is to believe the lies of men and to abandon the voice of God in our lives. Because here's what God says about it. There's nowhere in the scripture where God has called anyone a bitch or a slut or worthy of hell, prideful, fake, unwanted, worthless and entitled. He dealt with religious people's behaviors. He did get on the church folks.
0: <coughs>
2: but what pleased the Lord in Jesus was that he was found in God. And I think there's one label that really should shape everything we do from here forward that we're found in Christ. You know what the words of God are for you? That he gave his son to die on the cross so that you can have eternal life. Church people don't like you. God loves you. Who cares what church people say about you? Because I don't care what men say about you. What's your name? (laughs) Megan. Megan. God says, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. You're the apple of my eye. You're my daughter in whom I gave my son to die in your place so you don't have to pay for that. And come along and follow me. Don't follow that. Don't follow them. Find a church where they actually preach Jesus and not religion and follow Jesus. You know, it's interesting. There's a story of Christ uh, rescuing a woman caught up in adultery. Do you remember that story? And I'm intrigued by that story for a number of reasons. Uh, Number one, it says Jesus was preaching in the synagogue. So it's church day, right? Saturday morning. He's teaching in the synagogue. He's in church. He's probably at a lectern or sitting on the side with a scroll in front of him. And it says that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, probably who all attended that synagogue faithfully, were out hunting down this woman who they found in the act of adultery on Saturday morning. Can we just pause and recognize that these dudes were perverts? You know what I'm saying? Like, were they looking in windows trying to find some woman in adultery, right? So it says they caught her in the act of adultery, and they bring her to the temple, and they throw her down in front of Jesus in the temple. So imagine her barely clothed or naked altogether in full full view of Jesus at church. Can you imagine? Like it's bad enough when you know your grandma has, knows that you've done something wrong. You know what I'm saying? Look, when Jesus knows, and you're naked in front of Jesus at church. The Religious people bring her Jesus, and here's what they did to her. You ready? This is what church folks, this is what religious people do. They quoted the Bible. At Who said, nah, uh, what, should in hell? Is that you, Moses? They quoted the Bible at Jesus. They said, Jesus the Bible says to stone her. You know what Jesus said? Yep, sure does. And I'm sure this woman's like what? <laughs> like, what in the world? They said, Jesus, the Bible says to stone her. They're in the temple, the place where the Bible's read, and Jesus is a rabbi, and they're quoting the Bible at him. He's got him in the flesh, and she's sitting there naked, probably grossed out and just embarrassed to death, trying to cover up her body in any way possible. And Jesus like, yes, it sure does. She's probably thinking, I'm going to die today. And then Jesus now gives the spirit of the word and says, let any one of you who never sinned go ahead and throw the first stone at her. It says to stone her. But I'm telling you, a true and better way is if you've never sinned, you can stone her. Which who is the only one in the room who never sinned? Yes. So the only one with the right to stone her chose not to. And instead, he starts doodling it the there. I always wonder what he was drawing there. I just, I'm convinced he was like making up. Christian symbols or something. I don't know, like the fish. (laughs) Hey, that's cool. I wonder if that'll take off. You know, who knows? Nobody knows what Jesus was doing in the dirt. I wonder, too, if Jesus maybe shielded his eyes so that he didn't um, endure her shame any longer. He probably was like, you know what? I don't need to look at you and make you feel worse. So I'm just going to look at you. Maybe that's what he's doing. And then it says, one by one, these people dropped the rocks and walked away. So Jesus finally stands back up and he looks to the woman and he says, where are your accusers? That told you all these things about you. That quoted the Bible at you and told you you belong in hell and you belong to be stoned because of what you did. And she said, they're gone. No one's here to condemn me. And then Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Now watch this. Leave that life and come follow me. See, the call of God for us in the midst of our about to get stoned and I don't mean Colorado stone I'm talking stoned to death <laughs> <laughs> the call of God in that place is lead that life and come follow me go to John chapter 3 Jesus has this encounter with a guy named Nicodemus he was this super like lawyer, knew the Bible backwards and forwards, memorized scripture but he comes to Jesus late at night one night because he didn't want to get found out by all the church folks all the temple people it comes to jesus and he's like okay now for real how what's the deal with the story of the gospel how do you go to heaven and jesus says you've learned all the law you've memorized it you've got perfect attendance sunday school button christian you know judaism and he goes i want you to leave all of that and come follow me story of the rich young man in Luke 15. this guy comes to jesus he's blessed beyond blessed he's got so much he's dave Ramsey he blessed you heard what i'm saying like he's got <laughs> lots and lots and lots of money and power one text calls him a rich young man. Another one calls him a rich ruler. So he's got money. He's got power. And he comes to Jesus. He says, "What well, one thing must I do to have eternal life. And Jesus gives it back to Scripture. He's like, well, "What's the Bible saying. So this guy starts quoting the Ten Commandments. Because that's what we do, right? We get in our religious language here, right? And Jesus is like, okay, try that. And the rich young man says, yeah, but that's left me empty. What must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, read everything you have. Leave that life, sell off all your stuff, give it away to poor people, and come follow me. Why why am I giving you this thread of stories of the gospel? Because it doesn't matter if you're a woman caught in adultery, a super religious scholar of the Old Testament, or a blessed, wealthy, rich man. The call of God for all of us is the exact same thing. Leave all of those things and be found in Christ. Come follow Jesus. People called her a whore and an adulteress. And they said she was worthy to be stoned and worthy of hell. People called Nicodemus. He was the ultimate religious Jew. He was the scholar of all things scholarly. He was the, he was the prize possession Jewish synagogue guy. It didn't matter. The labels were wrong. He wasn't in Christ. The rich young man was literally called the rich young man. Or the rich ruler. Like the Bibles call him that. Jesus isn't impressed with any of those labels. Jesus asked all three of them to leave those things and be found in him. And when we live in the identity, can y'all hear me okay, or do you want me to get back on this? Oh, you're you recording, aren't you? The world has so many ways of identifying you, ladies. You've believed some of them, it's a struggle that we have every day. But the only identity that matters is whether or not you're found in Christ. Here's what that'll do it'll change your behavior, it'll change your relationships. It changes your eternal position, which changes your temporary position, right? His divine power has given us everything we need to live life and live godly in this present age. How do we live for God now? Some of us are waiting to die and go to heaven, and then we'll finally get all this stuff figured out. But God says, if you're found in me now, you need to live like you're found in me now. You get to walk like you're found in me. You know my greatest strength to overcome sin and temptation is? is to know that I belong to Jesus, and I don't belong to that anymore. That's not who I am. My label shifted when I said yes to Christ. I got saved on Halloween. 1997, y'all. The year of our Lord, 1997. Some of y'all even, any of you born in the 2000s? Oh, God help me. (laughs) I was saved on Halloween. My mom told me it was a phase. I'd grow out of it. But I remember there was a shift in my life that I no longer wanted to belong to that. I wanted to belong to God and live for Him for the rest of my life. You know how I overcome temptation to sin is just remembering who I am and whose I am. That's how God works towards you, and that's how he wants you to live towards him. You guys sang it earlier. You said, free at last, he's ransomed me. His grace runs deep. While I was a slave to sin, he died for me. He died for me, Megan, who the sun sets free, is free indeed. And then you guys sang this song as a unison female choir. You sang, I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. You confessed your identity earlier in the song today. In my father's house, There's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. I am. Here's what you said about yourself. You guys didn't sing. I'm a slut. Weak, not good enough. That'd be a terrible worship song, wouldn't it? (laughs) Here's what you sang instead. You said, I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You're for me, not against me. Who the sun sets free is free indeed i am a child of god can i just ask you to consider your new identity found in christ the apostle paul writes about it like this and i think this is galatians nope it's philippians yeah galatians chapter 2 he says we ourselves by jews are jews by birth that's our old identity and we're not gentile sinners like you He says, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law or even their upright upbringing, but through faith in Christ. So we've also believed in Christ. Listen to the language here of in Christ. Through faith in Christ, we believed in Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law or by, by, by our behaviors, good behavior, misbehavior, because by works of the law, no one will be saved or justified. Listen to this. Verse 17. If in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, to be found in Christ, we were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? No. Do we have sin when we follow Jesus? Absolutely. But watch this. He said, but if I rebuild what I've torn down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. In other words, if I, if I walk away from Christ, I'm, I'm walking back into my old life of sin. But through the law, I died to the rules. I died to the law so that I might live to God. Now watch this. For I have been crucified with Christ, I'm in Christ. Now listen, it's no longer I who live, but look, it's Christ who lives in me. So how do we live for God? It's an identity issue. It's not a behavior issue. You can't muscle your way to behave to God good enough. You have to submit yourself to a new identity. you be found in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And when you do that, you'll see Christ alive in you. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? I feel like I'm preaching way better than you're shouting. It's okay it's all good. Philippians three verses three through 11 says we are the circumcision. We worship by the spirit of God, the glory of Christ Jesus. And we put no confidence in our flesh. You cannot behave your way to God. You're never going to be good enough in your behavior. We are simply pleasing to the Lord because we're found in him. Listen, I have reason. Paul says in the, in the flesh to be confident. If anybody thinks he has more reason in their flesh and their behavior to be confident, he said, I have more. It, it, he said, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, asking the law. He's like saying, I'm super Jew here. I'm super Jew. Super Jewish, super law-abiding, Pharisee the zeal, persecutor of the church, righteousness. But whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of being found in Christ. He said, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. I've suffered the loss of every label. I've suffered the loss of everything I've ever acquired. All these other names about me don't matter. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them all as rubbish in order that I may gain and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from obedience to the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, that I may know the power of his resurrection, and that I would share in Christ's sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I can attain the resurrection to new life. Listen, ladies, our identity is in Christ. And even in church world, we get really tempted to start thinking that our identity needs to become in our church brand or our obedience to the church rules whether we're good enough based on the church's standards. Can I just tell you the church may not think you're good enough. I got people that go to my church that don't think I'm good enough. And it doesn't matter what they say of me. Jesus asks you this question, ladies, who do others say that you are? But then he says, but who does God say that you are? And what if we decided leaving the chapel today that from here forward, we're going to live and move and have our being found in Christ that as you interact with the ladies in the, dorm, in the, in the house today, that you're going to live and act and interact as if a person who belongs to Christ. You're found in Christ. You're not found in these other labels. One thing you probably have noticed coming here is they've taken all these labels off of you, haven't they? Nobody's walking around here calling you the things that others have called you. Why? Because there's a sense in this place that when you're here, you're home. And where are we? We're in our Father's house. You sang it earlier. And I'm free indeed. And I'm in Christ. And when I leave this house, I walk like a child of this house. I walk like a son of this house. I walk like a daughter of this house. When I go to the Y, when I go to the mall day on Friday, wherever I live, wherever I walk, I walk and live like a person in Christ. Not in any other label. You sang about it. I listened to you sing it. But will you believe what you're saying? In my father's house, there's no room for me to be a bitch or a slut, or a whore, or a failure. I'm called a daughter. I'm called a child of the Most High God. And I am free in that label. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Isn't that good news? Listen, live out your identity. Because everything, I know I shocked the room when I just quoted the B word. I saw her over there. She's like, what? But these are words y'all have been hearing. It's not like you've never heard that word before. You might delete it on the podcast. But you have to decide if you're going to walk in these labels or in God's label. There's a scripture in the New Testament that says, what can man do to me? And I just love that text. You can't say anything to me to dissuade me from being a follower of Jesus. Mom said it's going to be a phase. People said I'm a phony. They've said I don't know what I'm talking about. That's what they said about Jesus. You know what? If, if people badmouth your walk with Christ, you're in good company because they crucified him over it. They killed Stephen over this. They killed Paul over this. And Peter, all of them got killed for following Jesus, for walking in their identity. But remember the thing about God. Everything God does is a reflection of who God is. So as you leave here, listen. Every action you take, every breath you breathe, every relationship you engage should be a reflection of who you are in Christ. My favorite New Testament verse, you should write this down. I want to get a tattoo of this scripture on my body. My wife won't let me. She says my body's perfect the way it is. You know what I'm saying? I can't argue with her. No, honestly, we're just a little old school when it comes to that stuff. But my favorite scripture in the New Testament is Philippians 1.27. And it says, whatever happens, live in such a way that honors the gospel. So whatever happens with your family, with Relationships with friends, with jobs, with anything in this building and out of this building. Live your life in a way that carries one label. I belong to Jesus in my Father's house. Can we sing that chorus again? Where's, the, where's our keyboard player? Did she split? Did I offend her out of here? You guys know it? And then we want to pray with you, and, and um, we want to pray with you, and then also Stephanie and I want to be available to chat with you and do some q and I don't think the the um, song's up here. Come on, you know it. Uh, who the sun sets free. Come on, ladies. Oh, is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Come on, sing that again. In my Father's house. Now, come on, close your eyes. There's a place... Because you're a daughter. You're a child of the King. That's right. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Sing, I am chosen, not forsaken. I am chosen. You are for me. You are for me, not against me. I am. I am who you say I am. Can you sing that again? I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. Who the sun sets free, oh, is free. Thank you, God. I am a child of God. Yes, I am. Last thing in my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, there's a.
3: Lord, I thank you for every single Woman and girl that's in this place, Lord. I thank you for this word today, God, that you would just remind us. For some of us, this is a reminder. Lord, for some of us, this is brand new, Lord, that we are in you. God, help us to remember that, Lord, when we're living and, and we're interacting with other people and going about our days, Lord, that we are in Christ, Lord. I pray that you begin to wash away the old and bring in the new, Lord. God, you've got so many great things in store for each of these women, God, each of these girls. And I just thank you, Lord, that this, they're on the beginning of a journey, Lord, for, for for what you have for them, Lord. And I pray that you would open their hearts and open their minds, God, to receive all that you have for them, Lord. And I pray that Lord, if there's any hardness of heart, Lord, that you would just begin to soften it, Lord. That you would just do the impossible, God. That you would soften their heart, Lord, so that they can hear everything that it is that you want to speak to them and say to them, Lord, I pray that when they read your word that it would come alive. Lord, it wouldn't just be words on a page, but God, it would bring life change. God, we know that your the the Bible says that the word of God is living and active and it's powerful and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. Lord, how can it be that a, a book is sharper than a sword? Because, Lord, we know it's living, Lord. And I pray that you would allow all of us, God, to let it transform our heart and our life. God, in the way we think of who we are and and how we believe in you, Lord. And I just just pray favor and blessing over every girl in this house, Lord. I just thank you for the many, many plans that you have for them, Lord. And it's not even for when they get out, but Lord, right now, God, you're just doing amazing things. And I thank you for what you're doing, God. We praise you and we worship you in Jesus name. Amen.
2: Lord, your word says we've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer we who live, but it's Christ who lives in us. God, we are found in Christ. We belong to Jesus. We are no longer our own. We're no longer what anyone else says of us. God, just like you said of Jesus, this is my son. In him I am pleased. I believe you're saying of us, these are my daughters. In them I am pleased. Lord, release us to live in the new identity in Christ, to be found in Jesus, to walk in the fullness in the newness of life. Romans 6 says, what shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace abound by no means? How can we who died to that way of living still live in it? We have all now been baptized into Christ and into his death. We were buried with him by baptism in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God, we too might walk in newness of life. Thank you, Lord God, for these ladies. I pray that every one of us would walk in our identity with our heads lifted high, because we are daughters of the King, that we would know in whom we place our trust in Jesus' name. Ladies, can you just do this with me? Come on, everybody around the room, just lift your hands to the Lord. We pray this way at LifePoint a lot. We say we, we want to open hands of prayer. Paul said, I want to see people everywhere lifting up hands in prayer. And just pray this with me. Say, God, I believe your word, that you call me your child, your daughter, your precious one. Say, I receive that label. I will walk in it for the rest of my life. And I say this, say, God, I'm all in. I believe in Jesus. He died for my sin so that I can live for him. Full of the spirit, full of the grace that comes from God. I will live for you and through you for the rest of my life. In Jesus name. Thank you, God, for changing us. Thank you, Lord, God, for transforming us. We worship you and we honor you and we bless you. We give you praise. Thank you, Lord, for loving us and giving us new labels, giving us new names. God, we absolutely receive it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Have you been blessed today? Come on, everybody. Can you say thank you, Jesus? Thank you, Lord. What a privilege.
1: We hope you enjoyed the show today. If you have any thoughts or questions about what we discussed, or if you'd like to share your ideas for future podcast topics, please let us know by emailing us at mercytalkatmercymultiplied.com. And if you're enjoying Mercy Talk, be sure that you go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and to leave us a five-star review.
0: We also want to remind you that Mercy Multiplied and Mercy Talk are funded solely by donors, and we are so thankful for the support of so many people all over the country and even the world. So please consider us Supporting this free programming by giving a gift at mercymultiplied.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Mercy Multiplied. Thanks for listening today, and we hope you'll join us next week.